You are listening to the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. These talks are made possible in part by generous donations from our listeners. To find out how to support and take part in our community, visit zennovascotia.com. The first time that I received the precepts in a formal way was at a retreat in Montana when I was maybe, I don't know, 18 or 19 years old. And it was the first five. It was a Vietnamese tradition. So do not kill, do not steal, do not lie, do not misuse sex, do not take intoxicants, or do not indulge in intoxicants. And I was there at this retreat with uh, one of my high school teachers who uh, was the person who first taught me to sit. And we were all being invited to receive the precepts. But he was someone who smoked and he was someone who, uh, you know, he liked to have a drink after dinner. And he was very uncomfortable with the fifth precept. He didn't even, he didn't want to do it. You know, it wasn't that he aspired to follow the fifth precept. He, he said, this isn't even, this is not going to happen, you know. And he went to the teacher who was uh, performing the ceremony and said, you know, I, I don't feel that I can do this in good faith. And the response was, well, just say it. Even if you have no intention of following through, just say it. And at the time, I I felt in hearing that story that I kind of blew a gasket in my brain. I didn't know what to do with that. You know, on on one hand, I didn't quite understand the, the proposal to do a partial precept ceremony. And on the other hand, I didn't understand this idea coming from on high that you would just go through the motions of something like this without any intention of following through. But now, having spent more time in the tradition, it seems less odd. I I see more and more examples of this kind of thinking, and I just wanted to kind of present it. You know, tonight we did... This is the simplest ceremony that you can do in Buddhism, basically. Repentance refuge, and vow. That's what we did. That's all we did. There's nothing else. There's no offering merit. It's just this kind of commitment. And as you're doing it, especially if, you, if you've never done it before, it may raise all sorts of questions, and it may seem even dishonest. You know, Maybe because you don't want to repent <laughs> Right? Maybe because you haven't actually decided in your mind that you want to take refuge. Maybe because it just feels inappropriate to say these kinds of things out loud if you haven't spent more time thinking about them and really coming to terms with it for yourself. You know, maybe, maybe you want to push pause while we're doing this and go home and let this whole thing kind of sink in. That makes perfect sense. And by all means, you should go home and let it sink in. That's good. 
But there's a, a, a school of thought that I think goes across a lot of traditions, but in Zen we see it in particular ways, that says that just having contact with something, just touching something once, has value. We hear this in stories about the robe. The the robe is given a lot of weight in the Zen tradition. It's considered, it's the symbol, not only of ordination, but of committed practice. And there are these stories around the robe that have to do with people who encountered it by accident or who encountered it as a joke. The most famous one maybe being a a story of a a prostitute who came upon one uh, folded and on a table and picked it up and put it on as a joke to entertain the people around her and danced around and and said, look at me, I'm a monk. (laughs) But then... I think that the story is told in terms of multiple lives. You know, but then that in, in a subsequent life, she was born into uh, a very positive set of circumstances. You know, that she, she eventually came to the practice and the tradition in a very authentic way. And that it's traceable to this experience you know, when, when she, was, she was joking, she was fooling around. But she touched it. You know, she, she brushed up against something. It's, it's like, you know, in, in my mind, it's, it's like if we brush up against uh, pollen or something, we carry it. We didn't mean to do it, but we become part of that process. And in the same way, there's a school of thought that, that if you say this, even if you just hear it, but especially if you say it, if the words come out of your mouth, then that's a kind of starting point. It might seem ridiculous. You could go home and laugh about it. You could go home to your partner and you could say, I said the craziest stuff tonight. This was nuts. But you did it. And in a school where form and substance are considered to be essentially the same, you did the form. You can't say there's no substance. You can't say that repentance isn't real or that refuge isn't real or that vow isn't real. It may not feel the way you want. I have a tendency, and I think everyone has this tendency, that when I come to this kind of ceremony, and of course I I believe very deeply in what I'm saying, but it's not enough in a sense that I believe it. I want to infuse it with a feeling, you know, so I can kind of, I kind of get myself a little bit, I get a little psyched up for this. And when I'm doing it, I'm, I'm throwing myself into it a little bit. And there's a, there's a little bit of a gray zone, I think, between 
commitment and theater. Because I want this religious experience to feel religious. And sometimes that's built in and sometimes it isn't. And then I'll start to, you know, I'll start to kind of layer it on. And I'm doing that from the perspective of someone who is all in. If you're not, if you're still not feeling that you're in your comfort zone when you're saying these words, then you might have the tendency to kind of pull back and maybe you mumble a little bit because if you commit, that doesn't feel quite right. But you might go the other way and might start thinking, well, it doesn't, but it doesn't feel right. Right? You're trying to find the feeling of it, the religious feeling of it, the, the committed feeling of it. You, you know what it feels like to do something that way, and, and you're looking for that in this. And that's natural. What I'm trying to propose is that on some level it doesn't matter. That layer, that that tone, that kind of smell, whatever it is for you that is the atmosphere of religious experience is secondary. It's secondary to the act. And what this practice looks like in real terms, in concrete terms, is it looks like someone going through the motions. I get up in the morning and I I sit and there's no music playing for me. You know. I'm tired. I'm being cautious because I'm afraid I'm going to wake up my kids. I'm cold because when I wake up my house is cold. I'm already, you know, the more awake I am, the more the work of the day is kind of entering my mind. There's really nothing about this at six in the morning that for me feels like what I want it to feel like. Not really. Especially before I actually sit on the cushion. I drag myself to this seat in the same way that I drag myself to the coffee maker. It's a task. I do it. I get up and I, I chant a little bit. And sometimes that feels very alive for me. And sometimes I'm just doing the thing that I've always done. But whether it feels the way I want it to or not, I'm I'm holding this thread. And not just that, I'm drilling down. It's a kind of body memory to do this. As as I've said a, a number of times in the past, it's like playing scales. Playing scales is boring. Playing scales 
if you're a musician, is not the thing that you signed up to do. You might acknowledge that you have to do it, but it's not, it's not why you're there. You, know, you didn't buy the piano. You didn't buy the guitar so you could play scales. But you do it. And whether it feels inspired or not, every time you do it, it's a cumulative effort. It's not just that scale, it's yesterday's and the day before and the day before and the day before. There's something that's continuing and something that's expanding. And faith in this practice has a lot to do with just acknowledging that and letting it go. So I encourage you, I'm thinking of everything now in terms of the end of the year, because there we are. But as you're looking to this this shift, you're looking to 2017, you're thinking about what's going to be different. Think about that thread. Think about where you want to invest your time Again, not thinking in terms of what's going to give you inspiration. That's a lot to ask for. Everybody wants inspiration. What will you commit to do even when there is no inspiration? That to me is a question that matters more. That, to me, feels like the question of an adult. What will you commit to with no reward? What will you commit to with no gold star? And that's where I'll stop. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.